98K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. Hong Kong Alliance leaders say they're charged over the June 4th candlelight vigil. A traffic police officer will be summoned to court to face trial over the shooting of a protester last year. And new teachers will have training over professional values and conduct. Several leaders of the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements in China say they've been charged for organising the June 4th candlelight vigil last week. Li Chuk Yan, Albert Ho and Richard Tsui are accused of inciting others to join an illegal assembly. Mr Li, who's chairman of the alliance, says media tycoon Jimmy Lai has also been charged. This year's vigil had not received police approval, but representatives of the alliance defied the ban and went to Victoria Park to mark the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square massacre. Mr Lee says the case has a chilling effect on freedom of assembly. We believe that we have the right to uh, mourn uh, June 4th and to have a rally uh, to condemn the massacre. And when you look at uh, June 4th night, you know, candles everywhere in Hong Kong, it, it was ex- expressed very peacefully and no incident had happened. And so uh, this has been a very peaceful um, uh, incident and I don't think the police should have any excuse uh, to suppress peaceful expression. In the first criminal case against the police linked to the anti-government protests, an Eastern Court magistrate has decided to summon a traffic officer over the shooting of a student protester in Sai Wan Ho last November to face trial. That's according to Democratic Party lawmaker Ted Hoy, who's bringing the private prosecution. We welcome the decision and of course the meaning of which is that any police officer, no matter its rank, whenever they use excessive force or even violence, they will be punished. And that even the police complaint mechanism is not working at all. There are people, civilians and us, can always resort to the court as our last resort. And so there will be consequences, there will be results and punishments towards them. So this is a warning to them. A British scholar who earlier quit a panel investigating allegations of police brutality in Hong Kong says the upcoming national security law could give the police more power to punish dissidents. Clifford Stott says it's quite frightening that anyone merely standing in the street could be arrested. You're going to go into a situation where that new legal framework and governance framework is going to create a form of opportunity for the police to embed themselves as a form of secret police into Hong Kong society. And you will see a a, a gradual erosion of freedom and liberty as as a consequence of those things. And I think that that's an inevitable process that is underway. New primary and secondary school teachers will receive training over professional values and conduct. Timmy Sung reports. Education officials say the training program is developed by the Bureau and is part of the recommendations made by a task force on teachers' professional development. In a circular to primary and secondary schools, officials say from the upcoming school year, new teachers will have to take part in at least 90 hours of courses. 30 hours of them are related to their professional roles, values and conduct, as well as education policies in Hong Kong, along with national and international education development. And current teachers will have to go through what is described as enhanced training. Officials say they too have to study similar courses for a minimum of 30 hours every three years. Those who are seeking promotion also need training. The announcement comes after dozens of teachers were accused of misconduct in connection with the anti-government protests. 
The allegations involved hateful or discriminatory remarks, while some claimed inappropriate teaching materials had been used in class. The pro Beijing Federation of Education Workers has voiced support for the training program, pointing out that the integrity of teachers was called into question during the anti-government protests. But a rival group, the Professional Teachers Union, is cool to the idea. Ip Kin Yun is the education sector lawmaker and a vice chairman of the union. In this political climate, we are afraid that the education bureau might make use of this to indoctrinate. Certain ideas about the professional ethics, professional identities to teachers. I think we are really worrying about a kind of increasing control over the teaching profession. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past eleven. A top RTHK official has resigned, fueling further speculation that the public broadcaster is feeling the heat because of government pressure. Kirindi Chan, who's the acting deputy director of broadcasting and a veteran producer of current affairs TV programs, has been with the station for more than 30 years. She says she's leaving the job because of health reasons. But Grace Leung, a journalism lecturer at Chinese University, believes her departure has to do with a string of recent controversies relating to the under-fire broadcaster. Retirement of、uh, Miss Chen revealed that she finds this is impossible for the management level of RTHK to defend their own editorial autonomy anymore with the frequent attacks and political pressure imposed by outside bodies, including both the government and also from the board of advisors. So her resignation is definitely a political gesture. It's really not easy for RTHK to insist her position as a public officer to make a balanced voice to represent different people's voices because. It seems the government wants to make RTHK as a mouthpiece of her、uh, uh, propaganda. Legco has approved legal changes to tighten up the licensing regime regulating hotels and guesthouses. Penalties for people who operate unlicensed venues will be increased to a maximum of three years in jail and a fine of half a million dollars. Pro-government lawmakers said the changes would help stamp out unlicensed businesses. But their pan-democratic rivals are worried that online vacation rental businesses like Airbnb will also be affected. Democratic Party lawmaker Wu Qiwei says such new economy companies should be allowed to thrive. You cannot apply the same standard as、um, full-scale guesthouse or hotel as the license requirements. The government is not trying to address the problem, but simply put the matters in the back box, and that won't help because I believe. For all the operator, even though they want to operate an Airbnb, if there is a simple way to get a license, they will do so, and that can balance the safety matters, nuisance matters, and the operating needs. Airbnb responded to the new legislation by saying the changes could put the brakes on Hong Kong's economic recovery. It also says this is a missed opportunity for needed reforms, questioning whether some rules on the industry make sense. A new alliance headed by former chief executive C.Y. Leung and Tung Chihua is hoping to encourage people to spend their $10,000 government handouts on ailing local businesses by providing the public with information about the best bargains in the city. The Hong Kong Coalition is collecting information on special deals being offered and will give people all the information on its website. A deputy secretary general of the alliance, Kennedy Wong, said the group won't be looking into the political stances of the businesses they promote. This is an open platform. You know, I don't think、uh, we should take、uh, any narrow view as to、uh, who you know、uh, can upload or not. 
So basically, this platform has been created to enable the retailers and the restaurants, hotels, shopping malls to send us through the hyperlinks or upload the information. So basically, as Hong Kong, we're all using mobile phones. We're all on the internet a lot of the time. So this platform hopefully will grow bigger and bigger, and then consumers will use these information wisely. The alliance was formed last month with the aim of helping to revive Hong Kong's economy and resolve the political crisis gripping the territory. An ongoing row between China and Australia appears to be escalating, with the Prime Minister Scott Morrison responding to Chinese government advice that its students should reconsider studying in Australia during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's Mr Morrison speaking on Australian Radio 2GB. One thing Australia will always do is act in our national interests and, and never be intimidated by threats wherever they come. And I know that Australia provides the best education and tourism products in the world. And I, I'm very confident in the, in the attractiveness of our product. And, you know, we, we're an tra- open trading nation, mate, but I'm never going to try our values in, in response to a coercion from wherever it comes. But the BBC's Shaima Khalil in Sydney says this isn't a row simply about protecting the health of mainland students who may be thinking of studying in Australia. Even though China, on the face of it, will tell you that this is what it's about, this has actually been a simmering tension between China and Australia for quite some time now. But I would say that relations have worsened significantly after Australia sided with the United States calling for independent inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus detected in China late last year. China at the time when the Australian foreign minister announced that and announced Australia's insistence on this kind of inquiry, just dismissed it all and said it was politically motivated. But since then, you kind of saw a steady decline in the relationship. It, for example, translated into China imposing bans on Australian beef, on Australian barley. And at the time, China said, oh, no, no, these are not economic uh, repercussions. This is just us making our own decisions. But now with China, quote-unquote, warning its students uh, about risks coming into Australia, saying, you know, citing COVID-19 and racist incidents against Asians. But this has really rung alarm bells in Canberra because, you know, not only is China Australia's biggest trading partner, a very, very strategic trading partner, but also it sends the largest number of international students. And, you know, the international education in general in Australia, it's responsible for billions and billions of dollars, and it creates thousands of jobs. India has denied visas to members of a U.S. government panel that has raised concerns about Delhi's record on religious freedoms. The Indian foreign minister said the agency was biased. The BBC's Anbarasan Eti Rajan has the details. When it released its report in April, the Commission chairman said India had seen perhaps the steepest and most alarming deterioration in religious freedom over the past year. The report also called for India to be designated as a country of particular concern along with China, Iran, Syria and Russia for its treatment of religious minorities. It had urged sanctions against leaders of the government after it excluded Muslim immigrants from a new citizenship law. India says it will not accept any foreign interference on matters related to its sovereignty. To South Africa, where the funeral has taken place of Chego Fatsopule, the heavily pregnant woman who was found stabbed and hanging from a tree earlier this week. Her murder sparked widespread outrage, with activists saying her death was another horrifying example of the brutality meted out to women in South Africa. The BBC's Nomsa Maseko reports. 
The 28-year-old was last seen a week ago when she left her home in Soweto to visit her boyfriend. Police said the man was the last person to see her alive and that he's been questioned but not arrested. It's still not clear what happened to Tsikhofatsu and whether her murder was a result of gender-based violence. But her death has been marked by activists who highlighted as another shocking example of brutality against women in the country. Sports now, an all-British world heavyweight title bout between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury is a step closer to reality. The BBC's Betty Glover reports. That bout we've all been waiting for between the world heavyweight boxing champions Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury has moved a step closer. Eddie Hearn, who promotes Joshua, says both parties have agreed financial terms for a two-fight deal. Before that can happen, though, they will have to fulfil their mandatory obligations. Fury, who holds the WBC belt, is contracted to have a third fight against Deontay Wilder, whilst Joshua is due to defend his titles against Kubrat Pulev. The Tokyo Olympics will be a simplified affair. That's according to the chief executive of the organising committee. The Games, scheduled for July, were postponed for a year because of fears over COVID-19. More from the BBC's Alex Capstick. Tokyo organisers confirmed that the Games, which have been pushed back to next year, will be simplified, but there was very little detail on how that will actually be done. They said more than 200 ideas to help reduce costs were under consideration, but wouldn't give any concrete examples of which areas could be slimmed down. Securing venues, including the Athletes' Village, continues to be an issue, while the president of the organising committee, Yoshiro Mori, said it was wrong to even discuss the possibility of cancellation because it was only a hypothetical scenario. In football, Bayern Munich are through to the German Cup final after victory over Eintracht Frankfurt. Robert Lewandowski's second-half goal, his 45th of the season, put Bayern ahead and they held on for a 2-1 win. Both teams paid tribute to the protests against the killing of George Floyd in the United States. Eintracht wore shirts with the hashtag Black Lives Matter across the chest. Bayern had the same message on their corner flags, warm-up shirts and sideboards. Victory for Bayern means they remain on track for a domestic league and cup double, which would be their fifth in eight years. They'll play Bayer Leverkusen in the cup final in Berlin on July the 4th. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Hong Kong Alliance leaders say they're charged over the June 4th candlelight vigil. A traffic police officer will be summoned to court to face trial over the shooting of a protester last year. And new teachers will have training over professional values and conduct. The news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The Professional Teachers Union has accused the Education Bureau of having political motives in its decision to impose a new requirement for newly hired teachers to undergo compulsory training on values and conduct, among other things. Union President Fung Wai Wa says more training for teachers is good and fine, but said it's strange that the Education Bureau is providing the training directly. He told Anna-Marie Evans it appears the Bureau is trying to rein in local teachers, with the new requirements set to kick in in September. We agree that there should be training for teachers. But the task force actually um, suggests some areas to be strengthened in future in, in teacher training. But the education bureau is actually putting words to the mouth of the task force because now they uh, require new quality teachers to attend some uh, 30 hours of core training, which is solely provided by the education bureau. We're actually quite hesitant about that because the Education Bureau is actually an executive body. They have no expert on the teacher's training. So in the past, 
usually the teacher trainings are done by the um, tertiary institutes. So we think that, well, this time the education bureau take up the role uh, as the sole provider, but they haven't the uh, expertise in that. So we uh, suspect that they are having some political motives in, well, uh, setting these kinds of uh, compulsory requirements on newly employed teachers uh, with some kinds of uh, political control. Well, do you think that, that, you know, the fact that the Education Bureau is speaking out on that and suggesting this training is to do with the complaints against teachers' conduct, um, you know, with the year of unrest that we've had? Well, um, even there are some complaints, but actually the Education Bureau were dealing with anonymous complaints, which is uh, not uh, appropriate. Uh, even uh, said that, we think that uh, if we want to strengthen the teachers, uh, for example, uh, ethical conduct or professional conduct, the training should be provided by the uh, tertiary institutions or the teachers' training uh, institutions, not by the Education Bureau because they are not the experts. They are just, uh, well, uh, administrative people. So we think that it is still having a political motive behind. Now, the government says it doesn't want schools to be politicised. Uh, do you find that these comments could be regarded as counterproductive? The curriculum is actually uh, not requiring uh, the teachers to be strictly political neutral in teaching. For example, when they have to teach some uh, matters related to politics, of course, teachers should stay political neutral when they are teaching their students. So uh, this is uh, actually a basic requirement for teachers. But this time, we think that the, well, who is doing some kinds of uh, uh, politicization of the education, it is actually the education bureau. They are now uh, asking teachers well, to just provide one-sided uh, well, uh, comments uh, to, the, to teach students. And also to, uh, they are required to help the government to uh, well, publicize their own policy. I think well, this will lead to some kinds of one-sided well, uh, perspectives. It is not actually education. The unexpected announcement of an early retirement by a senior RTHK official is being seen by some as signs of the strain that management is under amid intense scrutiny of the public broadcaster. Acting Deputy Director of Broadcasting Kirindi Chan has resigned, citing health reasons. But journalism lecturer Grace Kern of Chinese University says this appears to be an excuse. She told Ben Che recent criticism levelled against RTHK by the government, the police and other critics are taking its toll. I think that the retirement of uh, Ms. Chen revealed that she finds this is impossible for the management level of RTHK to defend their own editorial autonomy anymore with the frequent attacks and political pressure imposed by outside bodies, including both the government and also from the board of advisors. Mm. So her resignation is definitely a political gesture uh, rather than what she say in her reason of retirement. And are you concerned that perhaps more RTHK management would leave? I think it is anticipated. It seems the TV director focusing will expire his contract uh, next year, early next year. And then if uh, now uh, Ms. Chen also leaves, that means um, there will be vacancies for the two, two top level of management. So anyone who will fill in 
um, vacancy will mean uh, they will leave the direction or the editorial, whether they can safeguard or be defending outage case editorial uh, independence. I understand Ms. Chen is uh, uh, very hardworking and she has done a lot in defending the position of RTHK as a public broadcaster. So I think we should give credit to her, especially in uh, the past few years when RTHK faced a lot of pressure from the political body. Mm. So um, it's really a lot easy for RTHK to insist her position as a public boxer to make a balanced voice to represent different people's voices because it seems the government wants to make RTHK as a mouthpiece of uh, her propaganda. So, so it is really not easy. Uh, that's why we need to pay attention to who is going to build up this uh, top-level position. Okay. Um, RTHK says it's producing programs about the national security law, uh, while a board of advisors insists it's not about promoting the actual law itself. Um, how do you see the role of RTHK moving forward? I think uh, they might need to adjust uh, her uh, proportion in doing work for government and doing work for the public. Uh, since uh, the both parties had different diverse, diverse interests, in handling the same issues. So uh, maybe how this guy has to increase the proportion in helping the government to do some promotion to persuade hmm. the public to accept the national security law or the national anthem the law, uh, as law and then cultivate more uh, uh, Chinese identity uh, uh, to the Hong Kong people. But uh, I think this part is not really uh, the most littered area for Hong Kong people because they just want the government to understand what they are, they are fighting for mm. at this moment. And um, just finally, uh, how important do you think it is for RTHK to maintain editorial independence? I think RTHK's um, uh, staff, the existing staff, still, uh, still maintain its profession, professionalism. And on the other hand, the public should also give more support to RTHK. I think that is uh, what we can do at this moment. The British government is facing calls from Conservative Party backbenchers to drop the two-metre social distancing rule in England. MPs, including former Cabinet Ministers Sir Ian Duncan-Smith and Damien Green, say it's essential for the economy. The government has said it's constantly reviewing its coronavirus lockdown guidance. Our London correspondent Gavin Gray told Anna-Marie Evans the government is under tremendous pressure to change things. It's certainly become a, uh, a real topic of conversation here. And the reason it's so vital is that I really think that the two-meter rule is absolutely devastating to businesses in hospitality. So asking everyone to stay two meters apart in a pub or a cafe or a restaurant or a hotel is very, very difficult if you're, you know, sitting down and, uh, and trying to enjoy a, a meal. And that's why I think so much pressure now being heaped on the government, along with theaters, incidentally, who are really warning in the West End that they are up against it because they've, of course, had to be shut now for months. Um, they're saying, look, the World Health Organization is suggesting one meter. Other countries are suggesting one meter, including China, Denmark, France, Lithuania, Singapore. They're all one meter. Why are we still two meters? And that's uh, two meter rule is Canada and Spain and the UK only. Well, isn't it because you've got one of the worst death tolls in the world? Well, I think if the question of social distancing is simply for the prevention of transmission, 
then surely that should be the same the world over, whether you've got a bad death rate or not. But yes, you're absolutely right. The government here is under intense pressure as the death toll uh, proceeds towards 41,000 as to what it's done right or wrong. At the moment, we have this uh, two-week self-isolation rule for people flying into the country, and uh, that includes those returning to the country who are British and have been away. But certain people are exempt, and also if you come in from Ireland, you're exempt. And many people are saying, you know what, you're trying to impose this two-meter thing. It doesn't make sense. You're now trying to impose this two-week policy for people coming into the UK. It doesn't make sense because if you thought the science was valid behind that, you should have imposed that many, many weeks ago. But safari parks are opening. The safari, yeah, the zoo is going to be reopened. Uh, non-essential shops are going to be reopened as well, starting on Monday. So there are glimmers of hope about getting back to normal. But there's also, from that New Zealand expert at the University of Otago, Michael Baker, saying that actually, you know what, the U- UK should remain in lockdown for much, much longer. And that's the concern this government has, trying to avoid a second spike. I say this government is governments the world over. But the problem I think the government here is facing is, are we doing more damage to the country, both to the economy and the health of individuals, by maintaining the lockdown and just accepting the consequences and perhaps tightening it up for another few weeks? But has England, particularly England out of the UK, really behaved itself in terms of lockdown ever? Well, I think you're right. It's very difficult. If people say, well, people say to me, you should have imposed what China did and, uh, you know, just isolated towns and cities that, that did and put it under lockdown. I'm afraid I cannot see the UK uh, basically existing like that. I can't see people in the UK respecting that. Uh, and so it is very difficult for the government. They want to introduce things which I think are going to be respected and not uh, introduce things which, frankly, will stand little chance of being respected. Um, and And there there is very real concern that as this lockdown goes on, the medicine, the lockdown, may actually be more painful than the illness itself. And uh, I know countries have said that as well. Other countries saying it's costing them more in be it um, uh, mental health or be it the lack of uh, the National Health Service being able to operate fully, or be it, of course, the economy, which has taken a massive hit here in the UK. And every day in lockdown is costing billions of pounds. The Oscar-winning film Gone with the Wind has been removed from the streaming service HBO Max. In light of the worldwide protests against racism and police brutality, HBO described Gone with the Wind as a product of its time. The BBC's Richard Hamilton has more. Well, it's long been criticised for glorifying the cause of the Confederates during the American Civil War and romanticising slavery. Um, For example, back in 2015, the film critic Lou Luminick said it's a much-loved but undeniably racist film that belongs in a museum. HBO Max have said it's a product of its time and it depicts some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that have unfortunately been commonplace in American society. Goes on to say the movie may return to platforms in the future, but says this will be with a discussion of its historical context and a denouncement of those very depictions. On Monday, John Ridley, who wrote the screenplay for the film Twelve Years a Slave, Uh, He said the film glorifies the antebellum South. It's a film that, when it's not ignoring the horrors of slavery, 
pauses only to perpetuate some of the, the most painful stereotypes of people of colour. Um, having said all that, there'll be some people that feel that this is an act of cultural censorship and revisionism. The American Film Institute has always had it in its top ten films of all time. In 1940, it won eight Oscars, including Best Picture, beating The Wizard of Oz, which was a, a classic. It's also, if you take into account inflation, it's the most lucrative film of all time in the box offices. Um, Hattie McDaniel, she won, uh, she was the first African-American to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. And the, uh, film critics even today say that some of the craft and, and the panoramic scenes are astonishing. For example, there's one where the camera pulls back, uh, the Vivian Lee is walking through a street and the camera pulls back to reveal what is what's called the street of dying men. You see thousands of people, uh, Confederate soldiers, injured or, or, or dead. And it's also a portrayal of a very strong female character. So it's still a much-loved film. Uh, Paramount Network has pulled uh, a reality TV series called Cops, which has been running since 1989. And there's also another police show called Live PD. They've both been cancelled. Uh, an ac activist group, Colour of Change, said for 30 years, cops has normalised injustice and misrepresented crime, policing and race. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. To prevent the spread of COVID-19, try flexible working hours and staggered meal breaks. Wear a mask on public transport. Avoid crowded lifts. Try not to hold large meetings and reduce face-to-face -face contact with colleagues. Avoid meal gatherings. Stay away from crowds after work. Wash hands frequently and keep the workplace clean. If you feel unwell, stay away from work and see your doctor. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 That's it. Moments to remember. With your host, Ray Codero, from now until 1 a.m.
nostalgia, The Green Leaves of Summer, played by Johnny Pearson, his piano, and his orchestra. And with the time now at 27 minutes to midnight. Let's say hello to you, Jim. I love you because you understand it. Every single thing I try to do Most of all 